Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Annie and I are tackling a letter from the mailbag from a friend of ours who is a practice owner and has some questions about what burnout really is. This one was a fun one. I put a little bit of my research hat on. We're going to dive into some nerdy info and we're going to talk about our real life experiences. I end this episode by talking about the fact that I think that I'm probably weird for enjoying and having fun with a topic that feels so heavy, but I really do think that this is such a worthwhile conversation and I'm really excited to have it. So let's get into it. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke and the one and only Stephanie me and karma vibe like that, gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love so much that that was the song that you uh, that you picked. I did not dress up for the Taylor Swift concert when I took my kid uh, and her gaggle of girlfriends. But had I dressed up, I would have 100% worn a karma is a cat shirt because vet med. Like what else would I yeah. be if not the person at the Taylor Swift concert wearing a cat shirt? So. Yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> as we're talking, there's this tail in the in in front of the camera. It's just it looks enormous because it's right in front of the camera. It's just it's like a it's like a sweater appears and blocks out <laughs> Stephanie Goss's face. It looks enormous because it is enormous because she is the floofiest. It is it is a floofy tail. <laughs> Pepper Potts uh, has decided to co-host today's podcast uh, with us. We'll see what kind of things she has to say probably lots about being very bad very very bad uh and rotten i um so I, you know the other podcast that i host is called cone of shame and um the cat appearances on cone of shame over the years are amazing and it's amazing because the people who are on cone of shame who are guests a lot of times they're taking it real seriously yes. which i appreciate yes, i wouldn't have sure. fun but also like they're like oh man there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and and they you know and they show up and I was talking to this guy, and he was talking to me about uh, about his his medical specialty. I won't say what it is, but he was talking about his medical specialty, and he was really like laying it down. He was into it, and then there was this sound. The sound that started it was like, thump. <laughs> thump. and then it started getting faster. It was like, I was like, is there? I said, I'm I'm sorry. Is there a helicopter outside? <laughs> Did it, did someone start a lawnmower? And he goes, you can hear that? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, uh, his cat was sticking its foot under the door and just going, thump, 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 thump. And it was like, it just kept going. Thump, 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 thump. And he was trying, he was, God, God bless him. He was trying to soldier through it and be like, I'm not going to, you know, like I, he got real intense. I could see he was trying to block it out and like continue to lay down his knowledge. <laughs> and I was like, I look. We got like we got to do something. let the, let the cat let the cat. Really. It's so like, funny that you told that story because I was totally thinking about that episode when you and I just recorded our last episode because Pepper uh, decided she was done napping and got up and went out of the room, which I did really quietly, and I was very proud of myself. I was like, oh, okay, that didn't cause any audio disruption. And then like two minutes later, I see I hear whap 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 at the door, and I'm like. God damn it. She's, she's, out, she's <laughs> she goes out, out and then she comes back in. She goes out. It's going to be one of those podcasts. Okay. Yes. And so, you know, she has decided today that she is rotten. And, uh, you know, it's good. It's a good thing. You have a rotten dog. I have a rotten cat. It's fine. It's, it's, you I was, know. I was, I was doing a webinar and I had to do it over at Tyler Grogan's house because, of course, when I have a webinar to do, the internet to my house gets cut in the morning. And like, there's a service outage, you know? <laughs> and it was just, it was out. And so I, I called Tyler. I was like, hey, I, I got to do this webinar at noon. Can I come over and do it from your place? And she was like, yeah. And so I go over there. And of course, her her two cats, who have never had any interest in me at all, right. were like, that guy seems stressed. Let's, let's, let's be get all involved. <laughs> let's get all up in what he's doing. And it was, there was just the whole webinar. There were tales <laughs> like, like this coming up. And like, I like cats. I, I, I very much like cats. But oh. they were they were funny. And like oh again, I've been over there many times and I, I've never seen one of them. Right. And he was I saw him. <laughs> His butthole was right in my face the whole webinar. Um 
Oh. It was, it was, and I couldn't, you can't swat him out of the way. It's like, of course I'm on camera. It's like Andy Rourke just, did Andy just swat a cat yes. off of his desk? No, no, never, never. He would never do that. Look at that. We're not even five minutes into today's episode. We're already off the rails. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to tackle a, uh, a topic today from the mailbag. Uh, that I really love. And um, this one might be a little bit of a structural departure from our normal headspace action steps uh, setup, but maybe not so much. Um, we got we got an email uh, from a listener who um, is uh, is a w- wonderful human being. Uh, we both we both know this person. Uh, and they were like, hey, listen, on a couple of the podcasts recently, Andy has talked about uh, times when he felt burned out. And so uh, they said, I, this is um, someone who's practice owner. And they said, I have some team members who have been talking about how they feel burned out. And um, they said, you know, I'm looking at these team members and trying to find some commonality. And it's really kind of runs the gamut. I've got some of them that are 40 hours a week uh, that also have families and small children. I've got some that don't have kids and are only working part-time that feel that way. And so they asked us uh, a, a bullet point list of questions that I thought was really, really wonderful. They asked if we could talk about what burnout really is, what uh, some of the signs and symptoms that someone who is feeling burned out might be uh, experiencing themselves, uh, what some things we might be seeing as uh, as team members and as or in as employers, uh, in someone who might be burned out on our team, what things, what things could we do as leaders to help potentially prevent burnout in our teams? And, uh, how I think this was the crux question. And I love that they asked it. How do we support team members who are feeling uh, burnout or who are experiencing burnout without just transferring the responsibility and the burden of all of the work uh, that happens in a practice onto the rest of the team? Because doesn't that just create a vicious cycle of burnout in the practice? Um, and so they said, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. Um, and uh, I would agree with that. And I am super, super excited to tackle these questions because I think that they're they're great ones. Yeah. No, I, I these these are these are awesome. I'm, I'm super happy to talk about this. So let me let me give some context, I guess, here to get started. So <clears throat> I tell a story of a couple of years ago when I when I sort of burned out, and uh, I I tell that story in a specific way and for a specific reason. And the truth is, the unfortunate truth is, I I I got clinically depressed um, about four years ago, and it was not fun. Um, I I I. Talk about a period of burnout. I'll, tell, I'll talk about why in a second. But um, but I decided, I decided I would talk about it. And um, at first, I was really turned off, and I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't want to talk about it one because there's a lot of stigma around sort of depression and mental illness and mental health stuff. And of course, you know, as someone who advises people for a living, you know, I thought, oh man, if I, you know, if I if I show this weakness, you know, then are people still going to, are they going to think that I have the ability to handle pressure and things like that? And I, I, I have a career that demonstrates that I can, but it's, that's not how, that's not how this works, but, but there's still that, there's still a stigma and there's some ideas about, about what that means. And so I, at first I, I didn't really want to talk about it, but the thing that ultimately convinced me that I was going to start to just to mention this, and I try not to beat people over the head with it. I, I don't, it's not something I, I like to wallow around in or bring up again and again. But when I got depressed and I was, I was working in practice and I was doing all the stuff that I, that I usually do, I was really busy. Um, the darkest thing for me was not knowing anyone or not knowing that I knew anyone who had gone through a period of significant burnout or, or depression or anxiety or things like that and who had come out the other side and been happier than they ever were before. It always seemed to me when I was going through this period that um, once you kind of broke through the floor, could you ever get get back out of that hole? Or were you always going to be, you know, were things always going to be hard? Were they always going to be heavy? Um, could you, it feels like, you know, you see the profession or you see your life in a very different way and you go, how can I ever be happy again? And that's sort of how it feels. But the, uh, that bothered me the most was I didn't know anyone that I looked at 
who I was like, oh, that person went through a period of depression and they ended up right back in practice, happier than ever doing it again. And I just, I am very happy in my life. And I have been very happy since since that time. And I just, I feel like that's the service that I can provide by talking about burning out is to say, I, you can you can go through these periods and you can make some adjustments and you can fix some things and you can get back and you can fall back in love with the profession. And so I it would I think it would help me if I had had an obvious example to say, yes, I've seen at least one person I'm aware of has done this. The truth is, I probably know a ton of people who have got, been through periods of burnout or depression or things like that and fallen back in love with the profession and, and been happy. But you just don't know that they did that because it's a private sort of personal battle. And so I, I have such a big voice and people, so many people kind of know me that I can put myself out there and say, you know somebody now, like, and there's a lot of you and you know somebody, it's me. Um, and so anyway, that that's kind of why I talk about that. Um, I talk about I talk about burnout uh, over depression, and we can start talking about that a little bit just because I don't, a lot of times we go through hard times and I, I, I worry a little bit about medicalizing everything that we deal with. And, and I, so I, I, in sort of my efforts to kind of back off of medicalization of challenges, um, I, I talk about it as burnout instead of calling it depression. Um, and so that's why I sort of talk about depression. That's why I talk about it and that's how I talk about it. I, I love that you made a couple of really important distinctions there. So one is I think it's really, really important uh, to recognize that burnout is different than depression and they can coincide um, and neither one of them I don't think gets talked about enough and I love that these questions were specific to burnout because when I think about it from a leadership perspective um, you you talk about um, you choose to talk intentionally about the burnout piece um, although you do also talk about uh, your your battle with depression but I love that you brought up the medicalizing of it, if uh, using using your terminology, because I think from a leadership perspective, like I think about it in the sense of um, in, in two 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 ways. When you were talking about that, that that stuck out to me. One, I think as a society, we tell the story of mental health um, challenges and mental health disease as being this thing that is so stigmatized. It happens. And then it's with you forever. And I love that you brought up like you didn't have a face to put on. Can a thing happen to you? And then can it actually go away? Because the the stories that are out there, the things that get talked about on a grand scale are, you know, someone is diagnosed with depression and then we take it to the extremes. And so the, the cases that we look at are severe clinical depression and are uh, cases of depression that then lead to, uh, you know, suicide or suicidal ideation or, you know, the 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 extreme end of things. And when it, right. Yeah, like a lot, they, they lead to a lifelong battle. And I'm like, man, that's the vast majority of people, you know, three, three, six, nine months, you know what I mean? And then, and you come, but you just don't, you don't hear, you don't hear about those cases. Well, and I think it's really important to remember that it is a wide spectrum. And so you can have, you can have someone who, who does, uh, you know, have, um, is at one end on the, on the mild side, or you can have someone who is on the severe side of the spectrum and everything in between. And so I think putting putting names and faces and stories to the spectrum is really, really important. And I think from a leadership perspective, the other thing that stuck out uh, about what you said was it. I think we should do some separating because our job as leaders, um, our job as managers, as employers, as bosses is not to be what we aren't. And we are not trained medical professionals. We are not therapists. We are not uh, psychiatrists. And so when it comes to our team and looking at someone, burnout gives us a language to talk about things that we actually can observe um, that are that are not subjective in the team and allow us both language and tools to help. Whereas when we're talking about something that is clinical um, and talking about someone who may also be dealing with depression um, or worried about depression or other mental health concerns, that is where we can divide ourselves as leaders and say, let me refer you to the appropriate support for that piece of it, because that's not my job. Um, Not because I don't care about you, not because I don't want you to be taken care of in that regard. I absolutely do. 
and that's not that's not my wheelhouse. And so I love that this uh, that this owner was asking questions about about burnout. So um, I think that that's really important distinction, and I'm excited to talk about some of the language stuff because it I it took me a really long time before I learned any of this as a manager, and I learned a lot of it the hard way. And I think both you and I are gonna um, probably talk a little bit about our our personal experiences. Um, and I think it's really worth starting at the top. Um, because I'll, I'll give some insight to how my brain works. Um, you know, I got this list of questions and I was like, oh, I have so many things that I want to say. But the way that my brain works is like, well, what does the dictionary say? And so because the very first question we got asked is what really is burnout? And I was like, what, you know, I could tell you what I think burnout is, but what is the actual definition of of burnout? Um, because I think it gives us some some context. And so, um so that was kind of where I started. And I think it's a worthwhile uh, place to start from, from a headspace perspective. Um, and so there were two definitions that I really liked. There was uh, one that the Mayo Clinic gave, and there was one that came from the um, Dictionary of Psychology, the APA um, Dictionary of Psychology. And I think that they're both worth uh, reviewing. So the Mayo Clinic's definition said that job burnout was a special type of work-related stress, a state of physical or emotional exhaustion that also involves the sense of reduced accomplishment or the loss of personal identity. And I really liked that because it made it made sense. And the APA definition also made sense because it was the definition of physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion, which can be accompanied by a de- decreased motivation, lowered performance, and negative attitudes towards oneself and others. And when I thought about those two definitions, I thought, well, those two things have commonality with the picture I have in my head that society has helped me paint of depression, but it all is also very different. Like it paints a very different specific picture because when I think about physical or emotional exhaustion, I think it's really important that it involves uh, you're you're looking at potentially one or the other or both being involved and and things like that sense of um reduced accomplishment, the loss of personal identity, a decrease in motivation, lowered performance, all of those things. I was like, wow, those are actually subjective things that I could look at myself or a member of the team and say, I'm seeing behaviors that could indicate to me that that is what is what is potentially happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's, I think that's, I'm going to start with a, with a definition. I think for me, the the second definition, the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion. Mm-hmm. That that's that's kind of what spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so so the the our writer sort of asked, like, what are the signs or symptoms that someone who's burned out might experience? And I'll just tell you for me, that sums it up more than anything. I my defining feeling was uh the words that I said to myself were, I just can't. I just can't it just I just felt like whatever whatever the thing was, I just I just couldn't do it. And, and I, what's funny is I, I know that my work suffered as far as how good I was at my job, but I, but I never didn't show up. I, I always sure. showed up for the things I was supposed to, but I remember sitting in the car, getting ready to go to work and just thinking to myself, I just can't. I mm-hmm. just, and like, that's, those are not thoughts that I tend to have. I'm optimistic I'd be person. But to me, the, the mantra of, of burnout was, I just can't. And I, I, I remember I would stand outside of a of an exam room to go talk to a client. I would just think, I just got it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to talk to this person. It's just exhausting. And exhausting was just the defining emotion was yeah. this is exhausting. And yeah. um and you know, I would I would come home and I would just lay on the couch. And like I just I just didn't want to do anything. Um I was like I said, just totally, totally burned out. But that for me, I, that's why I, I go to that term burnout really is just the, I just, I just didn't, everything, it felt so heavy. I don't know if that makes sense, but just, it was, it was emotion, like emotionally heavy, but everything was heavy. Everything was hard. Cooking dinner felt like a marathon mm-hmm. that I had to get through. And it's just, oh, it was, it was just brutal. Um, but again, I know everybody. We're we're speaking in general terms. I'm sort of blending together the question. I'm not an expert on 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 burnout beyond my own, you know, sort of experience with it and what I've seen in other veterinarians. So I don't want to speak, you know, as a as a psychologist or anything. But just just for me, it was it was just it was fatigue. I, that was the best way I could mm-hmm. I can explain it. it. Was just God, I was just so tired. 
Well, so, and it's interesting that you, you bring up the tired thing because I was, uh, when I was prepping for this and I was having a conversation with, um, a friend, um, who, uh, has been, has been struggling, uh, with some things at work and has been having a hard time. And I, and I said, you know, I'm prepping for this episode and Andy and I are going to be talking about burnout and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about some of the things that they've been talking to me about lately. And I'm like, oh, all of these things are fitting in this. And I said, you know, I'm looking at this and I said, have you ever considered whether you might be struggling with some, some burnout? And they were like, well, I don't have a heavy, like, I don't feel like I have a heavy workload. And it was, it was interesting to me that you, that you said about the fatigue because their brain immediately went to, I couldn't be burned out because I don't have heavy workload. And I, and I, and I thought that that was really, really interesting because the second, the second piece of, um, of it that, that our writer asked was questions about signs and symptoms. And I pulled those out and then I was like, okay, but what are like, what are the things that put us at risk for burnout? And I think that there is a lot of the conversation about burnout in veterinary veterinary medicine has been about how we are, um, we have a lot of challenges when it comes to um, mental health and well-being and positivity. And we know the statistics um, as as stark and startling as they are. There's no downplaying that when it comes to, uh, you know, the suicide risk factors and those kind of things. And it tends to be so like uh, I. It tends to be so focused on the emotional piece of it. Um, sorry, you you were gonna say something. Well, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I don't mean to to step on your toes. I just I I push back against a, a good amount of that stuff. And like I, I said, um, I, I I don't want to take away from sort of the position that you were sort of setting up. But I just I, that, Stephanie, that stuff. I I've never totally bought into this stuff, and so now I'm gonna get some hot water real fast. <laughs> But it's like when burn, uh, when you look at burnout, when you look at depression, definitely. But burnout's the same way. It's multifactorial. Yeah, it's not about our job. I really don't believe that it yeah. is. There was not anything in practice that was necessarily crushing me or anything for me. I mean, it, it's it's you know when you look at at causes of depression. Right. And, and I talk about this a lot when people talk about they say, you know, look at the suicide rate in vet medicine or look at the stresses we have in our job. We do have a stressful job. However, when you look at the main drivers of depression, burnout, uh, things like that, it's chronic illness. It's the loss of a family member. It's relationship stress. It's a failed marriage. It's, you know, it's 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 family history. It's genetics. It's just it's. It's. I think that honestly, for the fast, 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 fast majority of us, it's it's multifactorial. I think. I think people say, "Look at how stressful our job is," and then and then they want to point and like vilify that medicine as this mental health meat grinder. And like, I don't buy it. It's that there's lots of other people who have a stressful job. You're laughing because I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. You're I'm, laughing because I'm, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. No, well, the, I mean, there is that. True. Like, there's there's going to be people who immediately are up in arms about this. But I'm actually laughing because you are you are actually going where I was going to go with those with where oh, I was good. setting it. I was actually not setting it up to have the opposite argument as as you. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you <laughs> earlier, but I didn't want it to go too far down yeah. this path where I was like, well. So I, so as I do, like in my brain, I am a, I'm a facts and figures person. And so I was like, okay, but I, this is the story. This is the story that some of us choose to tell ourselves in veterinary medicine. And it certainly is a broad narrative that has been used. And so I was like, where, where does, where does the definition fall? Where does the truth lie? And so I was looking at it and there are, um, there's a lot of studies and information um, and I'll, I'll put some links. I, I found some, actually some really great resources um, from, from healthcare, uh, human healthcare in general. Um, but, but um, the Mayo Clinic had some great info on the risk factors and there were five that they actually identified as being risk factors for burnout. And I think it's really important to separate kind of to to your point the stories that we might be telling ourselves because it is multifactorial there are things and there are there are five things that they have identified one of those is absolutely the external stressors and all of those things that you mentioned that are outside of work that could fall into that personal uh stuff health related stuff the things that have nothing to do with our job all of those external stressors are are one but they're only one of the five so the first one was you have a heavy workload and you work long hours okay when we're thinking about the narrative in veterinary medicine that 
that may be true for, for some of us, may not be true for all of us, right? So again, spectrum, really important to remember that when we're talking about this. Two is you struggle with work-life balance or work-life integration or however you want to phrase it, finding the balance between your working life and your outside of work life. Okay, there's some truth to that for veterinary medicine. If we're going to talk about in generalities, a lot of us have problems with boundaries <laughs> and a lot of us still have good work-life balance because our idea, I mean, you and I have talked about this a million times on the podcast. So many of us have our identity tied up in what we do, who who we are is a part of uh, what we do. Uh, what we do is part of who we see, who we are, who we see ourselves as. Um, so that could certainly play play a piece, again, for some people, but not everybody. Um we work in health in a helping profession, healthcare being one of them. And that it that is true. We are at a higher risk factor because of what we do with our job. We have to have compassion all day, every day at work. And so that does put us at a higher risk factor for burnout. Um, the fourth is you have little or no control over your work. And again, that's another spectrum thing. We have some people who have lots of control over their work who might experience burnout. And we also have other people in veterinary medicine who have no control over their work and might experience burnout. So I think it's really important to look at those five things, the heavy workload, long hours, the work-life uh, challenge uh, with struggling with work-life balance, working in a healthcare or helping profession, feeling like you have little to no control over your work and the external stressors. Those are the five you know, scientifically identified risk factors if we're going to talk about burnout as language. And I think that that's really important thing for us as leaders to, to learn and think about because there are, there are ways that we can, as employers, that we can and should have responsibility for influencing some of those risk factors. But for every single one of those five risk factors, not all, because we absolutely can do nothing to control the external factors, the external stressors. But for the other four, we we can. But there is also an individual responsibility to each one of those five risk factors. And so when we talk about burnout, it has got the conversation has got to shift to being a bigger picture where it's not all the boss's responsibility. It's not all the employee's responsibility. It's got to be a spectrum and we've all got to be a part of the conversation and the solution. Yeah, I, 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 I love that. I love that you laid that down uh, like that. It's um, this is a this has got to be a nuanced conversation. And often it's not. I see people who are shouting at practices saying you're responsible for your people burning out. And I see practices kind of shouting at uh, not shouting, but I can see messaging yes. coming from practices that is, you need to work on your personal boundaries. Right. You need to yes. work on your yes. resilience. Yes. And I'm like, okay, two things can be true at the same time. Yes. Like practice owners and practices have a responsibility to not put their people in a position where they don't feel they have control of, the, of their of their circumstances. They don't have control uh, over over their day. And they're being called on to, you know, to give and support constantly and their hours are long and they're not getting breaks and they're not able to unplug because they're going home and they're getting text messages. That is that is unacceptable on the part of employers. And at the same time, as individuals, no one can make you relax. You know, no one can no one can get perspective for you. Yes. No one can set personal boundaries. No one can make you say no. Right. Like you have to you have to step up and take some personal responsibility for your own health and your own welfare and and for your family by saying no, I'm not going to. And so it it, it very much I think that that's really important. I think I, I had this idea for uh for a while that there was three levels, right? There's the individual level, which is our personal boundary setting, our self-care our wellness, our maintenance. There's the practice level, which needs to control workflow, make sure that people feel autonomy, make yes. sure that that we're not burning our people out. And again, this this definitely came up a lot with, uh, in the last couple of years when we've had people shorthanded, especially during the pandemic and all these pets are flooding in and people are working shorthanded. And I used to beat the drum and say, you, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. You cannot mm -hmm. work past your capacity day after day after day. And, and then the third level for me is sort of a professional level, mm -hmm. which I, I really think is overall as an industry, as professionals, we should talk to the pet owners about what to expect. 
mm-hmm. and about what it means to get, uh, you know, healthcare and what they can expect from their veterinarians. And that's almost like a above the practice level to to society is mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. These, this is what it means to be a veterinary professional. This is what you can expect when you come to us. And this is what is not acceptable when you come and you deal with your vet professional. I, I, I think that our profession for a long time, I think we're doing a better job now, but I think for a long time, our profession set ourselves up as almost these sniveling servants in some way who were just beholden to the pet owners. And I was like, I'm not doing that, especially as the world has changed. And I feel like people have gotten more aggressive in their demands and their expectations have continued to go up and up. It's like, I'm not your servant. You know, if you want to work with us, uh, I'm happy to, but I'm not, I'm not beholden to you. And that's, that's a, I think that that's a personal boundary that we have to set, but I kind of feel like it's a professional boundary. And I do have to say, I think that as a profession as a whole, we have been sending that message more and more to pet owners that don't, don't treat us bad and expect to get seen. You Mm -hmm. know, that's Mm -hmm. anyway, it's, it's that it's hard to quantify, but that's kind of been my perception. So anyway, those are sort of the three levels. And I just, I really agree there's got to be nuance in this conversation and every practice is going to be different. And here's the other thing is every person is going to be different. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are not going to have a hard time just saying no, and they're not going to have a hard time going home and unplugging from work. And there's other people who are going to go home and they're going to really struggle with it. Um, it's just, uh, it, it, there, there's so much, there's so much nuance to it. I, I just, I think that that's, it may make it feel like an overwhelming problem, but I, I really don't think it is. I think the multifactorial nature of it is actually a good thing in that we have a lot of controls. We have a lot of ways to support people and we have a lot of ways that people can support themselves. Right. Yes, and absolutely. So when we start talking about managing these people, I, I, we do actually have a good number of things at our disposal. We have another, we have a good number of things that are really not our responsibility as as a as a manager at the business, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think when we think back to um, the the email that we got, um, this practice owner, and I can absolutely understand how they looked at it through this lens. They were like, "Okay, I'm trying to find commonality here. Yeah. I have multiple people who are using this word, and so what is what is the commonality?" And they were struggling because they were seeing the spectrum. They were seeing people who had multiple risk factors, a heavy workload or long hours, plus they've got kids, plus, you know, the, and then they also had team members who didn't have all of those same stressors. The commonality was that they were all feeling burned out. And I think it's really, really important to recognize that none of those risk factors is more, more important or has more weight necessarily than the others. They can compound and Someone who doesn't work long hours, who has the ability to set their own uh, boundaries, who can say no and go home at the end of the day, they could still be at risk for burnout because they feel like they have no control in their job. They could show up every day, work their eight to five, but they could still be at risk for burnout because they don't feel like they are not, they are not emotionally connected to it. They don't have that control over their work or their happiness output. That is their, the fact that they're experiencing burnout is no different than I think what feels more typical to us and where where certainly for the, the lens where this person started, which was you think about the person who's working 50 hours a week and they've got a family and they've got small kids and they've got, you know, they're taking care of their elderly parent or whatever it is. And you mm-hmm. have all these all these factors that add up that doesn't make any one have more weight, they both still are at risk for burnout. And I think oh, that that's, that's really important because I think as leaders, I I did this myself as manager, I filtered it for a long time through the lens of what do they have to be burned out about? You know, like, because, and, and that sounds so horrible and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm okay with potentially coming off sounding horrible here, but, but really I wasn't doing it with bad intention. I just was like, I'm looking at the workload and it's as humans, I think our personal nature is to look at ourselves because we are selfish creatures. And I was like, I'm working, you know, 70 hours a week. I've got two toddlers at home. I've got all of this stuff on their plate. What does this, you know, kid who works 30 hours a week have to feel burned out about? And and so I can absolutely understand looking at it through that that lens and the lesson that I had to to learn. And it wasn't until I learned about burnout and I learned language and tools to use to change my filter um, was that there's there's no no one is 
I say better, but like more weighted than the other. It, everybody is at risk because all each of those risk factors matters individually. And I think that that's a really important part of the conversation to have because until we look past that, until we start to look at our own biases when it comes to supporting our team and looking at it ourselves, I don't think we can help really help um, the, t- the team very much either because it is multifactorial and it does have to be, the solutions have to be multimodal. Well, yeah. And, and this even even more unpopular territory, but it was just we're talking about nuance. You know, language creep is a is a thing, and it is a real problem. Yeah, and there are times when we all get tired, we all get exhausted, we're all in a bad mood. We've right. got things going on in our personal life that yes. are bothering us, and they're not going to be resolved in the short term. Right. Um. That those types of instances have been increasingly described as being burned out. And people right. people use that word a lot. They yes. say, I I need work-life balance. Right. I'm, I'm burning out. out. Yeah. You know, or you know, something like that. I have anxiety. And the truth is like some people do have anxiety and they absolutely do. Some people are just worried. Yeah. And right. and being and being yes. worried is not a medical condition. Yes. And it's not and it's not bad. But that, you know, I think a lot of it is and again, I'm not trying to point fingers here um, or say, oh, this people shouldn't be taken seriously. First of all, you don't know who's who. You don't know if someone is is using the language appropriately or not. The problem for a lot of this is that people working in vet medicine and every other profession for decades have said things like, I'm tired. Right. This is exhausting. Right. We need to, we, we're not working within our capacity and this sucks. And no one ignore, and no one listened to them. They just got ignored. And so by picking up language like, I'm burned out, people actually will stop for a second and say, oh, well, that's a problem. And you're like, wait, you didn't, like, when I told you I was exhausted, or when I told you I was, I was worried, you didn't, you didn't bat an eye. But when I tell you I'm burned out and I have anxiety, now all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to listen to me. And so I get it. But that, but that's language creep. And again, that's not everybody. That's a, that's a, a percentage of people. But a lot of times, you know, here's the other part too. It is as someone who sort of went through burnout. I was there going, "Am I burned out, mm-hmm. or am I just tired?" Right. You know, is like I don't know. Yes. There's no magical. You know, there's no magical diagnosis. There's no snap test that's no. going to yeah. tell you you're burned out. And and again, so all of this has to happen. It's all on a spectrum. It's all shades of gray. You know, but we're we're sort of working on all of those things. And so anyway, I, I know we're we're really kind of muddying the waters here, but I think that that's really the world that we're looking at. And that's OK, because this level of muddiness, I think, is really important to get your head straight about how you support people and how you manage people. And if you think that it, people fall into clean diagnostic categories, you're 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 in for a surprise and you're going to be really frustrated trying to support and trying to decide where your boundaries and lines are as you work with these people. Yeah. And I think um, I think we can help uh, clear up some of the muddy waters. I'm going to drop um, some some resource information here at, at the at the break because I think there are um, kind of uh, guide posts or, ch- or checklists, if you will, of things that um, because one of the questions was, you know, what might we be observing? Like what might be behaviors that we see, um, but also kind of signs and symptoms of someone who may be experiencing burnout. And I think that that was a really helpful uh, resource for for me to uh, gather yeah. for myself as a manager. And so we'll, um, we'll share that here at the break. But then I would love to take a take a break here and then come back and talk about kind of the action step pieces of it, yep. which is the stuff that as leaders of practice fall into our um, wheelhouse, which is how do we help uh, prevent it? And how then how do we help support the team? Um, and I would love to tackle those two in the back half of, of the podcast. Let's do it. All right. Hey friends, I just wanted to talk for a quick second about the maths with you all because I've been thinking a lot about the workshops and normally here's where we tell you what's coming up and we've got some great stuff happening. So you're going to want to head to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and check out the upcoming calendar. But I want to talk about maths because if you are not already an Uncharted member, you can attend any one of our workshops and pay $99 a piece. 
Most of them are just 99. You can do it as a one-off, great and fine. However, that adds up really quick. And if you do the monthly workshop with us, and I've seen some of you there as repeat customers, which is amazing, but you could spend almost $1,200 over the course of the year doing workshops with us, or you could pay $6.99 and get a 12-month membership, which means you get all of the workshops that we do at no extra charge. You also get access to our amazing conversation in the community, our community members, and all of our community resources. And it is hopping over there. We've got conversation 24-7. We have got activities. We've got book club. We're writing our handbooks together in Handbook Helper Group this year. We are talking about uh, development and uh, leadership growth, doing our development pathway this year. We are doing hallway conversations where we're talking about topics. These are uh, sessions that are community-led, community-driven. It is topics about things that are going on in your practice that you want to talk about with your peers. All of that is happening and it's all included for your $6.99 membership. So simple math. Do you pay almost $1,200 for the year or do you pay $6.99? If you're not currently a member, you should head over to the website and use this argument to convince your boss, hey boss, I need to be a part of this amazing community because Stephanie told me so and because she's telling you that you will save money. <laughs> Hopefully that works. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I hope to see you at our upcoming workshops again, uncharted.com forward slash events for everything that's coming. And now back to the podcast. All right, you want to jump into some action steps here? Yeah, yeah let's right. let's talk about it. All right, so I think the way that I'd like to set this up, if you're okay with it, I think I'd like to talk about the personal piece of it. Uh, I think I should talk about some prevention okay. and how we can help stop our people from ending up here. And then and then we should talk about management of people yeah. who are who are feeling burned out. Is that okay? Yeah, love it. Okay, cool. So the personal thing, you know, everybody's different in, in what their needs are and what they're wrestling with. The big thing that I just want to say to people is... If you are struggling, do not be the person who refuses to get help. And like that was a real challenge for me is I would just tell you my self-identity was I am, I am the one who helps others. I am not the one who takes help. And that was honestly, uh, probably that was one of the things that got me in trouble is because I was struggling, but I don't take help because I'm strong. Sure. And I just kept going until I was in a lot of trouble. Sure. And that was, that was a mistake that I made. And so if you are feeling burned out, if you are just having, if you're acting in a way that you didn't act before, if you're sad all the time, if you're exhausted in a way that you didn't used to be exhausted, if you're angry all the time, if you're irritable, if you're grumpy, if you're just acting in a way that's not your normal way, and you've been that way for a week, and that's not like, that's not like me. I, you know, I'm the normal person. Sure. But I, you know, I don't stay, I, you know, I get bummed out like everybody else but not for a week. That's not, that's, that's not who I am. And so if you find yourself in this position, do not wait until you're in real trouble. Go ahead. Like, and again, I didn't realize that an appropriate mechanism was to call my GP, my own doctor and just say, man, I'm not feeling like myself at all. I, I just, I don't know what to do, but I am not myself. Um, I didn't realize that that was a, that totally, you know, acceptable way yeah. to, to start the conversation and have someone who's a medical provider say, tell me about your day. Tell me about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how things are going. Mm -hmm. um, that was that was a big deal. And then, you know, uh, obviously, you know, therapy is more available than it's ever been. Figure, figure out kind of what, what you need, but just but don't don't suck it up beyond the short term. I think that's a really important uh, message and also a really important distinction here in terms of the language we use, because I think when we're talking about burnout, whether it's in ourselves or in our team, I think it's really important to talk about um, be about repetitive behaviors and patterns, because I think you you brought up something earlier that is really, really important to me, which is we all have hard days and we all have days where, um, you know, we just just can't. And that's life. We're going to have days where we feel like we just can't. When we are talking about burnout, and it's, I think it's really important that the language and the lens with which we look at the behaviors, we're, we're starting to look for patterns. That's the really important distinction. Because to your point, whether it's a couple of days that turn into a week, or whether it is now we're starting to see it's we're going into to months. I think that we're looking for those patterns so that we can intervene sooner rather than later. And I I love that you talked about 
talking to someone. And I love that it can be really simple. And I think, you know, I am a huge, huge advocate for therapy. Um, it's probably um, the, the number one thing that I have people say to me um, about listening to the podcast. They're like, oh my gosh, I love you and Andy are so funny uh, and you have so much fun on the podcast. And also, can I just say thank you for normalizing therapy? <laughs> and it's probably the number one thing that people say to me and I will shout it from the rooftops until I'm blue in the face because I really truly, per my personal belief is that therapy is the best gift that we can give ourselves. And um, it is it is so, so helpful. And again, that is not going to be the right fit for everybody. Sometimes it can be as simple as having the conversation that I was literally having with a friend today about, hey, I'm worried about you. Like I'm look, I'm seeing these behaviors and everybody has a bad day. I have now seen these behaviors repeatedly with you over the last few weeks. And I'm kind of worried that you might be at risk for some burnout here. Like, can we talk about this? Because sometimes it's just having someone who has outside perspective um, and and having that conversation. And for some people, it could be their GP, it could be a therapist, it could be their it could be their boss, it could be their partner. Talking to someone is a is a really, really, really um, important first step. But I think that the really important distinction here for action steps is what are we looking at? behaviorally in terms of patterns. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a that I think that's a big one. Um, from a prevention standpoint, because I think this kind of dove, dovetails into that. But I think prevention is sort of it, it happens at the practice and it happens at the personal level, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. But just so starting with prevention, right? We, we talked about heavy workloads and long hours. Yes. Um, you know, we we've got to pay attention to our people. You know, uh, it's sort of I did a talk called the troops are tired. Uh, about sort of these forced marches I saw people doing and they were like, we have to suck it up. We have to keep going. And I'm like, you can't, you, you'll, you grind people down and you'll break them. And you, you can't just, you cannot work beyond capacity. And that is a thing that I see veterinarians and vet pr practices falling into is they're like, we've got all these patients and we have to get them all done. And I go, but do you have the capacity to get them all done? And they'll be like, no, we're just going to grit our teeth. And I'm like, well, if that's a tough week, then you can probably do that. Right. Maybe, maybe if it's a hard month, but probably not a hard quarter and definitely right. not a hard year, you know, like that's not how it works. And so I always say, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And that's uh, and you can't feed from an empty pantry. And mm -hmm. it's true is at some point you've got to figure out what your capacity is. One of the things that, that sort of I, I really try to beat on people about is this. And I'll say to them, I don't want you to be happy in vet medicine this year. I don't I'm not interested in making you happy this year. I'm interested in making you happy for 30 years. Right. And if you think about the amount of good you could do this year versus what you could do if you slow down and didn't burn out and leave the profession in four years. Think about the maximum good you would do over 20 to 30 year career. You would do so much more good in the world if you slowed down and set some boundaries. Yeah. But people don't. And that's why we lose people at an average of five years in the profession and then they bounce. And it's because they came in and they flamed out, just went hard, and then they mm -hmm. were done. And I go, that's dumb. It's bad strategy. You can't convince you can't convince me that the outcome was better than if you than if you managed your workload and, and really tried to, you know, and, and force things to slow down. Yeah. I understand the pet owners don't like it. Right. But at some point, again, we talk a lot about management. It's picking your poison. Would you rather have some unhappy uh pet owners or would you rather have massive staff turnover? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that there's definitely when we come when it comes to about um, the so my brain looks at it from, OK, if I know what the risk factors are, I think that there's personal work and personal steps that could be taken in terms of prevention and um, support in each of those five areas on a personal level as a person who might be experiencing burnout, but also on the um, work or the um, the next sphere out in the in the rings here of like the team and the environment that I set in the practice, right? And so I think that there are some cycles in veterinary medicine that we need to break. And I think that there's personal accountability and there's um, there is hospital level accountability and then there's and then there's um, industry level accountability here. I think we need to address it from from all sides. But the but certainly you can't pour from an empty cup like that is learning how to have the boundaries for yourself and to acknowledge and say no like when you're at you when you're at your your breaking point and and then moving outward from there things that we 
not only can do as leaders, but we have to do as leaders is we have to start to break that cycle of understaffing. We are chronically understaffed in veterinary medicine. We um, do not have the capacity. And that's how most of us and even our writer looked at us and said, how do I change this so that the answer is not just the rest of the team gritting their teeth and bearing it and picking up the slack because that's the choice that we've made over and over and over again. So we have got to break this cycle of, of understaffing and we've got to figure out how to balance the load and the schedule because that is something as leaders, as hospital owners, as hospital managers, doesn't matter whether you're corporate practice or private practice, you have within your control as a leader in your practice, the ability to help minimize the impact when it comes to the load and the schedule that we are carrying in our practices. And that is hands down the best thing that we can do to help prevent it. Um, and and it's hard because it's that's a that's a long game. It could be an instant, could be an instant fix. I could say, hey, today I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel half the appointments on the book and that could fix it today, but it doesn't solve it tomorrow if we just stack the book back up, right? It has to be the it has to be the long game. Yeah, it's the long game. Uh, so, so number one is uh, you know managing is managing workload. I think for prevention. Number two is supporting work life balance. And so this happens at a couple of different levels. N- number one is as an individual, um, you gotta unplug. You gotta take care of yourself. Um, I'm I'm a huge proponent of doing things that are not about vet medicine. I, yeah. I think people get in trouble. I think we're more at risk for burnout when all you do is go from work to home and home to work, and all your friends are people that you work with. Like I think that that sets you up to just be. It, it makes it hard to get away and feel like you're off work uh, to some degree. Sure. And so I'm just I'm just a big fan. But whatever your thing is, you you got to figure out how to how to rest. Really like work-life balance is a lot about rest. And so what do you need to do to recharge? And you need to be intentional about it. Take your vacation, for God's sakes. Veterinarians, I'm especially talking to you, especially pro-style paid veterinarians. Um, Man, I went three years and didn't take any vacation as a young doctor. And I I just, you know, I just grinded it out because I, you know, I wanted to make a bigger bonus. And so I just kept working and it just, it's it's not worth it. Be be intentional with your time off and your life balance. Decide what you want to do put it on your calendar and, and make it happen. But as an individual, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta use that time and, and, and just figure out how, what do you need to rest? And then as employers, if you give people vacation time, you got to push them to use it because a lot of people won't want to use it, but we've got it. It's not about throwing tons of vacation at people if they, if they, if they don't use it, but you, you've got to try to push people to unplug and get off, get off the floor. Yeah. Um, but and, but a lot of times we don't we don't we we hold on to people and you know we say this person is the is the most reliable person I have so and they never take time off and they never take time off so let's just so let's call them first yes. when we have a problem and yes. it just it becomes a, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy that yes. you're gonna you're gonna burn this person out yeah and I'm gonna hop on a soapbox for a second because as as owners of business and as leaders of business. We cannot call it a benefit if we don't let people take it. If we give them time off and we don't let them take it or we put up barriers and we make it difficult, like this is something that I get really rowdy about with my peers. Like we have, again, this is a cycle. This is a long game. We have got to, but we have got to break the cycle and it falls right back to understaffing because I am always amazed at how often I talk to manager peers or practice owners and I ask them, how much time off do you give your team? And let's just say that they give everybody on their team two weeks off a year or three, you know, two weeks in a week of sick time. Okay, that's three weeks a year. And then I ask them, how many team members do you have? And they'll tell me and I'll say, so how much time off a year do you have to cover for everybody to take their vacation? And it's crickets because they have no idea because we're not trained to think that way. And that's the that's where part of the problem lies is that that's that understaffing is, look, if we're giving people just just two weeks a year plus a week of sick time, that's three weeks a year for every team member that I have to cover. My answer for 10 team members cannot be that we're gonna be understaffed for 30 out of the 52 weeks in the year. If that's my answer as a leader, I'm not doing my damn job. And that's that's part of the problem. That's where we have to start to look at that's change that we control. We can impact yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think part of that um, starts to dovetail into the next thing for me, which is, is autonomy, right? If one of the big driving factors is a lack yeah. of control, yeah. then uh, then making sure people have some autonomy. They should have some control over their schedule. They should at least know where their schedule is. But, yes. you know, yes. we, we don't 
We ever want our people to feel like they're being clamped down and then ground against the clients. And, and I feel that. And so there should be some autonomy. There should be some control. They should have some input on their schedule. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're going to have limited input on their schedule, they should have a long runway so they know what their schedule is going to be. And it's not, hey, here's your schedule next week. No, there's no flexibility in it. And you're just being made aware of it now. That's not that's not fair. Yeah. You've got to support them uh, in the face of clients because that's where a lot of them, a lot of people feel trapped. Is sure. They feel like the clients are always right. I'm, you know, if, if yes. it comes down, push or shove and the clients are mistreating us, right. the practice is going to side with the clients. And I go, boy, that, that really makes people feel trapped. It makes them feel unappreciated, but yeah. you can burn them out really fast that way. You've got to, you've got to support them and you've got to give them some autonomy. They need to feel like they have some control in their life. And so a lot of that is, you know, it's all the stuff we teach in Uncharted about, about making people feel heard and listening to your team and, and, you know, and trying to, trying to support them and to let them take some leadership in their own, in their own position or in practice. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times, like the, the pushback that I hear there, um, for, for example, the schedule, how many of us, um, and I'm, I'm saying this because I did it for, for years, how many of us are mechanism to decide if we had hit our capacity for the day is to look at the veterinarian and say, are you at capacity? And a lot of hands will go up because for a lot of us, that's how we measure it. We say, well, can does the vet want to see more cases? And especially in pro-sal environments, that answer may be very skewered. And for most of us, we don't take the whole team into account. Now, some of us do. And for a long time, I, it, my answer was, well, the doctor says they can see more cases. The kind of like the team's going to have to go along with it. Like That's just it was that very top down mentality of the doctor is, is making the decision. And I think that there's a lot of fear around letting the team have autonomy and stay in that. Because what if what if they all just say we can't see any more patients? And what if one day turns into two, which turns into a week, which turns into a year. And now we're not seeing any patients and the business is failing and we're living in a cardboard box in the woods. That is the that is the logic and the reasoning that a lot of us use for not allowing the team to have input and say is just say, well, this could happen. So we're never going to open that door in any way, shape or form. And this is how we're going to make the decisions. And I think that that contributes massively. Again, I think it's a cycle that we can help break that contributes massively, I feel like, to them not feeling control. And I will tell you how amazing it was once I started asking the whole team to be involved in that process because it gave them some control. And again, you have to have a safety mechanism. I get that. I'm a business owner. I need to make money and have money in the bank account so I can pay everybody's paycheck, including mine. And that doesn't mean that I can't listen to them when they feel like they're at their limit. And so I have to put systems and safeguards in place to say, is this becoming a pattern? Did one day turn into two, to turn into 10, to turn into a month of now we're seeing less appointments? Or was it literally just a day? That's how we avoid burnout, is to give them the day to say, hey, I'm really overwhelmed today and I'm stopping it today to break the cycle and keep them from having the one day turn into the two to turn into the 10. That's something that is within our control as leaders and we lean away from it because we're afraid of the what ifs. Yeah, the last part of this is sort of management of these people and we're running short of time. Yeah, uh, We've talked about this a couple of times before. The, the basic gist of management is for me, you, you are not their therapist. And you yeah. don't want to be their therapist and you should not be their therapist. And yes. everybody's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. And so, you know, I, I think that the main takes for me uh, as a manager are know your people and care about your people. Right. Seek first to understand if you see people struggling, yes. ask them how they're doing. Ask them if you can support them. Be, lead, lead with kindness and, uh, and, and, and follow up. At some point, if someone's continuing to struggle, they're not having a bad day, right? Right. That's what we said is, you know, this is not, I had a bad day. Support, be kind to people when they have a bad day. Mm -hmm. Be a good boss, you know, help them out, cheer them on. When you start to see a pattern, it's time to talk about that and to say, hey, we're seeing this. Now, 
The big management trick here for me is this is going to become a performance conversation just because I'm not a therapist and I'm not I'm not trying to wade into your trauma, your mental health, how you're doing, what you're doing. But I can talk to you about absenteeism. I can talk to you about being disengaged. I can talk to you about about losing your temper, snapping and yelling mm-hmm. at staff. Mm-hmm. All those things are performance issues. I can talk to them. And here's the thing. When we manage people on performance issues, we can always come from a place of kindness and say, hey, this isn't like you. Are you okay? I'm worried about you. And if they say, I'm not okay, then you can say, have you reached out to your employee assistance program? So we have a a program. We have some resources for this. Um, Is there anything that I can do to try to support you? What can we do to help Mm -hmm. you get back to feeling better? And we sort of manage these things. But ultimately we're going to continue to manage performance, which means it's 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 okay to struggle. We all struggle. Yeah. It's not okay to come in and be toxic and yell at everybody else. And it's not okay to no-show on your shifts and leave the rest of the team in the lurch. And I can, my heart can break through you. And I, and I can also tell you that this is not acceptable and you can't keep coming in mm-hmm. if you're gonna, if you're gonna no-show on appointments. That, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it is possible to recognize that someone is struggling and still sort of hold them accountable to the team. You don't have to be a jerk, but you also should not be a, uh, a you know, a doormat. And I have seen a lot of people do that where they'll say, I have this person and I know that they're going through a divorce and they're struggling or they're, they're depressed or they're just really burned out. And I say, I get that they're really burned out, but that's not a, that's not okay for them to be awful to the clients to not provide good care to the patients, to, to be a toxic figure in your practice. And you can hold two things in your hands at the same time. Two things can be true. This person can be struggling with some mental health issues and also yeah. their behavior is not acceptable and they're not going to be able to come in and be a part of what we're doing. And so you can absolutely manage to those things. But my advice is know what your resources are, know what your company has as far as resources, know how you're going to refer people. But then also, ultimately, we're going to hold them with compassion. We're going to hold them accountable for what our, our team needs. Um, and that can be a, a delicate balance. But um, I I said, I, I've seen this so many times. And, uh, you know, it just, the, the team cannot, carry the emotional burden of an individual that's not what we do and that's not that's not okay to put on those people and if it becomes that way then everyone's like you're never going to be free from emotional burdens and people who are struggling at some point people are going to need to know and and again it can be it can be a good thing to set clear expectations about what it means to come here and what your behavior is expected to be and we're going to demand that of everybody and so as a result everybody's going to come with their own stuff but they're not going to have to carry a lot of other people's stuff while they're at work. That's to me, that's, that's less fair than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think the support. So the last question we got asked was, you know, how do we, how does we support the team without putting it on everybody else? And I think there's, there's two pieces that are really important to that. One is you, you choose not to, and, and a lot of us don't make that choice. We, we choose to look at it from the perspective of, oh, well, the only choice we have is to be understaffed to, to, for everybody else to pick up the slack. That is a choice. It is not the only choice. And so we have to, we can choose to go into problem solving mode, eyes wide open or eyes wide closed. And I would advocate for eyes wide open and say, there are things that are in my control. I can hire more staff. I can pad the schedule. I can provide resources. I can do a lot of those things. And knowing what tools are in your toolbox all comes down to doing some root cause analysis. And this is where it is your job as a practice leader. It's not my job to be a therapist, but it is absolutely my job to your point to look at the behaviors. What are the actual signs and symptoms that I am seeing that I can have a conversation with that person about to help them do some root cause analysis and figure out which one of these risk factors does it fall under? Is it that they are working too much? Is it that they have too much on their plate? Is it that they have no control over their job? Because once I figure out kind of which of those buckets it falls under, the answer might be that it falls under the external factors. And then I have tools for referring them to resources, the employee assistance program, a therapist, et cetera. I also have that same ability to reach into a toolbox for the things that fall under my control. But if I don't know what is contributing 
to the burnout, if I don't know what what sections kind of that behavior is falling in, if I haven't done that work, I can't support them is really the this, this simple, not popular answer. And so the, my job here, my role here is to help get myself educated about, about burnout. And like I, I said at the beginning of the episode, I meant it, the, the work that I did to, to, to learn about it and to recognize signs and learn how to talk about it with the team was invaluable because that's the next step. Once you teach yourself about it, then you can start to teach the team about it because we have got to equip our, our teams as human beings to recognize that we do have some higher risk factors working in the healthcare industry. And I want to take care of them because I love them and I support them. And I want them to your point to continue to be here 30 years from now and not just 30 days from now, because they're, they're so, you know, they're so overwhelmed and they went too, too hard, too fast. So I think as a leader, the best thing I can do is look at what are the things that are under my control and the way that my linear part of my brain works is to look at it from that segments and do some root cause analysis and figure out what is what is the um you know what falls into what bucket here and what resources do I have that I can pull out of each of those buckets. Yeah, I agree. Well that's I think that's my I think we've I think we've covered this pretty well. It's been a winding conversation, but I think we're we're about out of time. I hope this has been helpful. Yeah. This was a this was a, a is it is it weird to say it was fun to talk about such a like heavy topic <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that's that's me i'm weird uh take care everybody <laughs> have a great week see you later everybody well gang that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast and as always this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question and i would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag if there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with feel free to reach out and send us a message you can always find the mailbag at the website the address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com take care everybody and have a great week we'll see you again next time